the first discussion point that I wanted to start off with has to do with genetic testing and uh, abortion. Well, first of all, this is uh, not an easy topic to discuss. And uh, I would say I am not the most qualified person to discuss this for very obvious reasons. I'm not a parent. Also, I am not a woman, so I would not even know what maternity really feels like. So to me, the conversation about genetic testing and abortion is relevant as far as what is, is in store for us in the future, because ultimately we would like to know what kind of medication would be uh, available for our uh, children when they're born or what kind of testing would be available before they're born. We want to know what's the sort of healthcare landscape and pharmaceutical landscape would look like over the uh, next few years, because ultimately technology, medical technology, genetic testing in, in particular is gaining more uh, pace over the last few years with availability of sequencing and the dramatic reduction in costs, as well as introduction of new techniques and uh, just overall awareness of the types of genetic diseases that are out there. I think all of these factors will bring the genetic testing possibilities and opportunities for more and more people. And they'll be exposed to just learning potentially more about their unborn children and make potentially make decisions around data that would be available through those types of tests. So I came across an article from The Atlantic, which is a really interesting article. And uh, when I publish this video, I will link it down in the description. And obviously, you know, if you find this uh, discussion and this topic particularly interesting for you, please like and subscribe to my channel. I'd be more than happy to know what you have to say, comment uh, in the, on this video as well. And uh, I will make sure to let you know when I'm going to have uh, more of these types of videos. So you will have an opportunity to join me as, uh, as part of it to discuss some of those topics. So uh, coming back to the article, and it's titled The Last Children of Down Syndrome. When I saw the title of the article, I was intrigued to say the least because the, the children that are born with that disease, uh, well, first of all, I should be very careful in terms of saying whether it's a disease or not, but at the very least, it's an alteration to a classic genetic makeup of, of a human. We as humans have 46 chromosomes or 23 pairs of chromosomes. And uh, if you have more than that or less than that, that's typically considered a, a genetic error or genetic disorder. In the case of uh, children with Down syndrome, they have an additional uh, chromosome. I believe it's chromosome 21. Basically, those children are uh, having some kind of, um, let's say, developmental uh, difficulties, or they have some, uh, essentially, some differences that may impair their ability to fully express themselves or fully respond to everything like, uh, like other people would. This, uh, the discussion about these types of uh, children in this particular article takes place in Denmark, there's fewer and fewer children that are born with a Down syndrome. The reason for that primarily, as it's outlined in this article, and I encourage you to read this article at length, because I think it raises even more points than I would in this video. But basically they're saying that the availability of genetic testing essentially allows more and more uh, people 
to have a choice whether or not they would like to uh, have an abortion and actually prevent that child that has the Down syndrome to be born in the first place. This is, first of all, not an easy topic for a lot of people to discuss. So I think it's worth separating two points of view. The first group of people, let's say, is very much adamant about not being in favor of abortions. These would be maybe some conservative groups or religious groups. They may have various reasons for not wanting uh, women to do abortions. And the other group, which as far as I know, is starting to be more and more of a majority. This is the group of people that have, um, let's say more uh, modern views on abortion where each woman is, is given a choice whether or not she wants to do an abortion for whatever reason that she might feel like. And obviously it's not black and white. Uh, there's a lot of gray area as far as in which cases you would say like a woman should do an abortion in which it shouldn't, in which she shouldn't. And it's ultimately, my, my perspective, it's obviously has to do with individual circumstances. And uh, I, I would not presume to fully comprehend what's it like. I would never know. To have, a, to have an unborn child and just carrying that uh, pregnancy um, burden, if you will. And uh, I'm not, let's say, qualified to answer how a woman should proceed. But th the point is, in this particular instance, in this particular story, when we talk about less and less people being born with Down syndrome in Denmark, so a very particular case, it raises the point that the government has been doing this, increasing the availability of genetic testing, increasing awareness of uh, this type of uh, genetic disorder. And in some ways, at least as far as this article is concerned, th they raise a point that perhaps there is a bit of a, let's say, education of people that it may be beneficial for them not to have uh, children with Down syndrome because of all the issues that I've outlined in the beginning where, you know, they might not enjoy fully the quality of life as other people or all these other reasons that may play an essential outcome of women or those families making a choice that they do not want to have those children. Now that I've set the stage for where I would like to start this discussion, and uh, maybe it's a, a bit of a long introduction, but I feel it's important to at least outline uh, what prompted me to discuss this topic in the first place. And uh, I would like to essentially start by outlining four bullet points that I think are worth talking about. Now, the first bullet point is the availability of testing versus the willingness to test. These are not um, really same topic, right? Just because you have an ability to test, and again, as I've said, the technology keeps evolving and there's more and more availability of various types of genetic tests, either prenatal or during, pre during the pregnancy or before the pregnancy uh, in the first place where you just test two parents that want to conceive a child, you can test for some of the genetic disorders or some of the genes that may be potentially resulting in a baby having some kind of genetic disease. That's not the same thing as the willingness of those parents to actually do those tests. Because you can you know, make a valid argument, like how much do you wanna know about the child that, uh, that is not even born yet? Obviously it's a, such a loaded topic. And personally, I feel I would like to know some things, but I also would not like to know some things. What those things are, it's, it's kind of hard for me to, to say. And as just to give you a bit of a perspective, I'm a, you know, I'm a scientist by training. I, I have my PhD in biomedical sciences. So I know 
a lot about various types of genetic diseases, or at least I'm aware that there's so many things that could go wrong. I'm also hopefully an internal optimist, so I hope for the best. So that's why I have this dilemma of how much would I really want to know about my un unborn child at this point? Would I want to know what kind of potential d diseases that person might have? And uh, what does that even mean to know this beforehand, before the child is born? Do I want to know that about if, if the person has a Down syndrome or other types of chromosomal aberrations or arrows, whether or not I would like to know about some other genetic diseases, or maybe I want to take it a step further and know about, let's say, what is the chance that my, my child would have brown eyes or what kind of height my, my child might have or some of the other less important question. Another gray area to that is the probability or genetic predisposition to have some kind of diseases that are not genetic in nature per se, but probability to have a heart attack or cancer or those kinds of things, which are not simple things that you could just say, oh, just because a person has this particular copy of the gene or this allele, that means the person would have this particular disease. So something a little bit in that gray area, like cancer, heart attack, diabetes, these kinds of things. This is where a lot of people would potentially draw a hard line where they would be just completely not wanting to know some of those things. But it doesn't mean that those tests are not available. It means actually just people would like to have a miracle of pregnancy, the miracle of raising a child without the baggage of information that can come along with the availability of technology. And that's a very important point. So on the flip side of wanting or not wanting to know those things, there's obviously the availability, as I've just mentioned. Over the last 15, 20 years, there was a really big growth in the availability of sequencing technologies. So naturally, how much we know now is so much so much more than, we, than we've ever known, really, even 10 or 15 years ago. And more importantly than that, than just the pure knowledge of some of those things, what is ultimately more important is that because of the lower and lower costs for sequencing, for doing these types of diagnostic tests, the availability to a regular person in terms of cost, in terms of just having those kits or those uh, professionals that know how to perform those tests has been going up and up and up. So in the developed countries in particular, the healthcare and the availability of those tests has been really growing quite rapidly. And this raises uh, the question is, just because we have so much more ability to test for these types of um, genetic disorders, what do you wanna do with that? What do you wanna do with that availability? Do you wanna try and convince people to do those tests? Because think about this, uh, having the availability of those tests actually raises sort of a financial and business question. And the business question is, now that you have this test, say, developed by a particular company, well, why did they develop that test in the first place? Ultimately, as any business, in this case, a biotech business that developed this test, they might, might want to market that test to people to sell the test or to, let's say, insurance companies so they could package it into like a standard pregnancy-related expenditures that all the parents would, would want to do. So ultimately, there is a business side to that story where the growing availability of these tests 
puts a bit of a, let's say, consumer pressure to perform those tests too. And it's up to those companies, it's up to the maybe physicians and those uh, professionals in that sphere to educate parents, future parents, whether or not that test would give them either peace of mind or additional information upon which they can make a decision. So I think it's an evolving topic and having potentially multiple stakeholders to discuss this uh, topic would be very beneficial. So if you're interested in discussing this topic, I'd be more than happy to you know, have a Zoom session with you and potentially we can just discuss some of the concerns or some of the things that you have come across uh, in your experience that you might like to share with other people or just extend the conversation further. So now that we've set the stage for availability of testing, as well as willingness to test, what comes next is the topic of abortion. Obviously, it's a challenging topic, uh, to say the least. It's a very personal topic for a lot of people. There's many different reasons why somebody might want or might not want to, to perform an abortion. And again, I'm not a, not a woman. I know very little about that experience. But in the, for the purposes of this conversation, abortion is a decision that people make based on some of the things that have to do with willingness to have a child or not. This comes back right back to just the topic that I've just uh, outlined is this willingness to know more about the child. So if you can lift the veil of uncertainty and, uh, un and the unknown about what the future of this child might hold, you might be more inclined to do an abortion if you find out that potentially raising that kid would be very difficult for you, either financially or mentally or however, right? For example, like in the case of people with maybe some severe um, genetic disorders, some people that are discovering that they might be more skeptical about their chances of, of raising that kid and giving the kid a really good, happy, decent life. Because arguably you could say, well, if I can't give my child the quality of life he or she deserves, what kind of parent am I, right? So bottom line, the abortion, a question that can be raised as a result of this understanding of the quality of life that the, the, this child might have is a very complicated one. And ultimately, uh, the availability of clinics that do, that do abortions, as well as lifting the, some of the stigma associated with doing abortions, is playing a huge role in that. Because let's say, even if you know that something might be wrong with a child, if they have some kind of really debilitating um, genetic disorder, but you cannot do an abortion, well, now you're faced with really tough choices potentially in life. You really will be struggling to make sure that the kid has a quality of life that he or she deserves. So you now are really faced with some difficult choices. So availability of those clinics, availability of resources to understand how to do it and when to do it and so on is just very important in the first place. But there is another side to abortion that is also crucial to highlight beyond just willingness to terminate pregnancy because of the understanding that the kid might have a, uh, some kind of um, disability. What comes with that is obviously the choice of doing that. But the question is just that uh, choice, heavy or easy it might be, is still an important player in whether or not 
a person might want to know what may be wrong with their child or not, because it's it's also it's it's one thing you know what um, genetic disorder this this kid might have, but it's another thing to say, I don't want to have that kid because of it, or I do, right? So that kind of conversation I think has to happen more and more as the availability of those tests uh, is increasing because the amount of information that um, future parents might receive as they perform their diagnostics, which again, are kind of just becoming a routine at this point, the amount of information has a consequence as far as it may weigh on their conscious, right? Because imagine you find out like your child might have Down syndrome. Well, what do you do now? Like you cannot unknow it. Now you have to face that reality. And for some, it means, okay, what do I do now? And uh, personally, it's, it's something I, I don't even know how I would tackle because, I mean, I've never been in this situation. So it really would be a decision that a couple would have to make for themselves. Ultimately, I think more of a decision would, would probably have to lie with, uh, with the woman um, f- for obvious reasons. But the idea of, of abortion and the moral consequences of doing it or not doing it and all the struggle that would result from that decision is really critical to this discussion. Now let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the genetic errors themselves. So first things first, the genetic errors, and um, I kind of highlighted a little bit about them in the beginning of this video. And uh, what I want to highlight now is maybe share a spectrum of things that we can potentially look at as well as as the technology is getting better and better, how much would we be able to know or infer from those tests over, over the next five, 10 years and, and the kind of power that that information may give us. As far as I understand, um, there are different things you can look for in doing those tests. So first of all, there's two types of tests. One is you can perform screening on just the parents. The second type of test is when already you get pregnant and you can do different types of tests on the fetus and there's different ways you can do it. And not all of them are available at all the times. It depends on the size of the fetus, maybe some of the regulations in the country that you're residing in. Let's say in theory, with how much we know now, there is a lot that we can learn about a fetus, what the fetus can look like, what the fetus uh, characteristics might be, eyes, color, all those things. So now that we have access to all kinds of information about the child, unborn child. What do you do with that information? Now it's really about a conversation between parents and physician. And it's also about some of the regulatory framework that this conversation takes place in. Ultimately, we now have access to knowing about predisposition to certain diseases or a likelihood of a particular type of disorder. And obviously now, again, depending on your situation, you might have access to doing abortion. But the question that now I'm circling back to the, to the article, how much of a, let's say, genetic disorder, genetic error is too much to do an abortion? Or whether this kind of question should even be a question, or maybe it shouldn't be a question. Because now that we have this power of knowledge about our unborn child, who is going to regulate 
and whether or not anyone should, what we do with it, with that information, with that unborn child. Do we want to give them the best quality of life possible? So let's say this extreme example. You discover when you perform those, some of those diagnostic tests that a child has um, genetic disease that is not the worst, to say the least. Let's take cystic fibrosis, which is a lung disease. It's obstructive lung disease. You know, you have to have, you have to be on medication for pretty much the rest of your life. So it's, it's not the one where you don't have, you don't really have any cognitive impairments, but you have this disability where you need to wear a mask. You have to be on medication. You have to adjust your lifestyle quite a bit. In that case, the couple decides to, let's say, okay, we know this. We know how hard it is. They might've read something on the internet or whatever. And they like, and they say, okay, I feel like we would like to have an abortion. Would you judge them for that or not? They're just doing what's best for their family. I feel there should not be an easy answer to this because if somebody says, oh no, that's wrong. Or somebody else says, oh no, that's, I understand that. I feel like that's undermining the complexity, the true complexity of that kind of decision. This is just but a taste of um, maybe the kinds of questions that people would ask themselves, if not now, then very soon in the future. Another even more extreme example, we see that our child has a, like say 50-50 chance of having brown eyes or blue eyes. Now this is kind of, this is the dangerous territory, right? And for whatever reason, those parents, they want a child with blue eyes. They really do. And they, they discover that the, that the person has brown eyes and they decide to do an abortion. I think a lot more people, imagine a situation where you have the first couple that were making a decision based on that cystic fibrosis case, right? And the other one making the, the decision to do an abortion based on the color of the eyes. Everything in between is a gray area. Closer to the dark area, I would say on the, on the eye side of things, because that's like, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the selection and all that kind of stuff that's quite reminiscent of some of the racial kind of connotations or whatever you want to call it. And something that is a, a little bit more altruistic. To having you know a child to have a really good quality of life but anything in between this is where things get very sticky very quickly humanity strives for freedom of choice overall to democratization of healthcare, of accessibility of healthcare, access to abortions access to tests and information about our own health or the health of our unborn children and uh, this is the kind of future that we need to be very careful where we're heading because ultimately now we do have access to information. We have access to decent healthcare in many parts of the world. We have this freedom to choose whether or not we want to act on some of the information that we can obtain, especially in this case. So how much should we leave the decisions uh, about ab abortion to individual parents? Or they always should be up to the discretion of their parents no matter the types of reasons that they might have. And how long will it be before the decisions about just the, uh, the dignity and decency of life of a child can transform into having a child with specific characteristics. This is a real possibility. And unless there is a proper approach to tackling this via education, via 
just raising awareness of maybe risks of abortion, because obviously it's not just, you know, a simple procedure, especially uh, further down the line of pregnancy. Uh, also, the maybe some of the erroneous testing, which we should not discard because there are some issues with the current tests as well. So there's many different things that uh, uh, future parents should be aware of before making these big decisions. But ultimately, it's also up to the society as a whole to sort of find means to eliminate or try to mitigate some of the extreme case scenarios, just like what I've outlined, so that we do not substitute the quality of life argument for discrimination, which I think is completely wrong. And another kind of side to that, going back to this article, is if you interview the people with, with Down syndrome, they have their own quality of life. And who's to say that their perception of reality is somehow impaired as a result of their disorder. Maybe they gain something by having that unique um, struggle. And that's something that we should also not discard. Like maybe we are uh, sort of eliminating that, their chance to explore another side of humanity that uh, other people might not get to experience. And we collectively might learn something about ourselves through the lens of people with, with disability. Please uh, leave a comment in the video because I'm, I'm going to post it on YouTube. If, if you would like to be a part of this conversation, especially if you're a woman or if you just had a child or planning to have a child, what do you think about some of those uh, things that I've touched on in this video? I'm really curious to know what you have to say and uh, what is your point of view on the matter. So thank you very much for watching. And until next time, my name is Paolo Rojov. Bye-bye.